0: We will, Lord willing, uh, get back to the Book of Ecclesiastes uh, pretty soon. But I wanted to think about this. I have been thinking about this issue of revival, and uh, the sermon title today is "Do We Want Revival?" That's an interesting question to ponder, and we'll we'll think about that. But in Revelation three, uh, we have what is what I, I would think is probably. The most well-known of the seven letters that Christ wrote as it were in, in this book were written down to the seven churches uh, of Revelation and this in in verses 14 uh, to 22 uh, we have the message Christ's message to the church of the Laodiceans we're probably most familiar with this letter And with Laodicea, I'm certain that I've mentioned it numerous times. So it's not necessarily new material. But we stand on the edge, of course, of a new year. We all have goals. We all have desires. Maybe it is to read through the Bible this year or to start a devotion and be committed uh, to that. That means when we read the devotion, we're getting into the Word. We're going to be praying together as a family and things like that. Uh, But the question I want to ask... And there are other goals that we might set for ourselves. But uh, do we have a burning desire uh, for God, for God himself in this coming year? Uh, Do we have a yearning for revival, for renewal? Uh, uh, Do we need it? Do we need revival? And uh, are we then committed if we think we need it? Are we committed to seeking revival in 2024? And so I want to look at this morning just a portion of of this letter uh, to Laodicea, verses 14 through 17. So let's hear God's word. Uh, To the angel of the church of the Laodiceans write, These things says the Amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of the creation of God. I know your works, that you are neither hot, neither cold nor hot. I could wish you were cold or hot. So then, because you are lukewarm and neither cold nor hot, I will vomit you out of my mouth. You say, I am rich, have become wealthy, and have need of nothing. And do not know that you are wretched, miserable, poor, blind, and naked. This is the word of the living God, and we do well to heed it let us pray thank you for your perfect word lord it is a searching word it is powerful and it and it divides uh down between joints and marrow between soul and spirit as hebrews tells us so lord we pray that the word of god will do its work uh, do heart work today in our lives and father we pray for the help of the holy spirit as, as we get into this passage, in Jesus' name, amen. The first time I remember hearing this passage preached on, I was probably a freshman at Anderson College just down the road. It was just a two-year institution back then. But we had to go to chapel, seems like, several times a week. And if you, you had an assigned seat, and you, you couldn't really miss... The chapel meetings—you can only miss so many—and uh, and, or else, you know, your academic uh, <laughs> achievements would be for naught. So I remember, a, a preacher coming and preaching on this, and he was very, very fiery, very adamant about that—that that you need to be either hot or cold. That if you were lukewarm, it was completely unacceptable. And and I was not saved at the time. I didn't know the Lord, and I remember being very, very convicted. I knew that I was not hot. I didn't, you know, and and, and and I thought, you know, that I knew I wasn't cold. I had some, some beliefs about Jesus Christ. I had grown up in church. I believed he was the Savior. I didn't believe that he was my personal Savior at the time, but uh, I believed that in general that the Bible was God's word. Uh, and yet I was very, very convicted. I knew that I was lukewarm, but before that sermon, I thought it was okay to sort of be in the middle. At least I wasn't, you know, a horrible person. I mean, I, I was a horrible person, but I just thought I wasn't at the time. I thought I was, you know, kind of a decent person. I wasn't the best. No, I wasn't one of those saints, you know, those, those Bible thumpers, but, uh, you know, it I, I could have been a lot worse. So lukewarm's not too bad, is it? Uh, well, that sermon just completely <laughs> knocked that theory out of the water. So I want to as we think about revival, that term, of course, has uh, a lot of baggage with it. Uh, you, we could do a, a church history study about revivalism, about the history of true revivals, which we'll look at in Sunday school. We may talk some about revivalism, which is, which is an aberration that came into uh, this, this country uh, back in, in a time when uh, people like Charles Finney, Uh, was uh, preaching and so on. But when I use the term revival, I'm trying to use it, at least in the biblical sense of the word, as we read it in Psalm 85, 6. Will you not, uh, this is a prayer of, of the psalmist, you know, will you not revive us again? And so what is revival? It's first of all something that happens to those who have, who already know the Lord, who have already been born again, who have life uh, it, it's someone who already possesses life. It's the restoration, uh, the renewal of that life. It's an awakening from spiritual sleep to uh, Christian vitality and zeal. A Christian is no longer dead in trespasses and sins. We've passed from death into life, but we can get sleepy. We can uh, we can fall back. We can become complacent, as we'll see. So revival is the work of God in individuals in a church. It's, it, revival is usually associated with a work in more than just one person. But, of course, uh, without the individual uh, responding to God and God working in that individual, then revival doesn't come. But it, it, it can happen in a whole nation or a whole community. And it takes us from spiritual apathy to spiritual life and power. Revival occurs when God visits his people with fresh outpourings of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is always prominent when true revival takes place. And, of course, God sends revival according to his own uh, sovereign will. That was one of the mistakes of of Charles Finney, who thought you could just do X, Y, and Z, and then uh, revival would be the automatic result that we could just engineer these things. And that's sort of what we've seen in the last, you know, 100 years or more in in evangelical Christianity in our nation, is that uh, we use certain means and methods and we stir people up and we kind of produce a revival by our own efforts. But that's not the case when you read the scriptures, that it's the Lord uh, who does these things. And uh, as, as the psalmist said, unless the Lord builds the house, uh, then they labor in vain who build it. Unless the Lord revives us, but we labor in vain who try to stir it up. Uh, it's not something we can bring about. But revival ultimately causes us, uh, if the Holy Spirit revives us, the Holy Spirit's work is to point us anew to Jesus Christ. So when, when there's a revival, Uh, in our lives or in a church, it ultimately causes us to think more and more of Jesus Christ and less of ourselves, more and more of him who died and rose again on our behalf. And uh, so true revival is an ongoing work. Uh, Once it begins, uh, it's not enough to have a flash in the pan. It needs to be maintained. And so this is something we should seek continually. So I would ask you, uh, are you willing to at least pray with me this year that God would revive us uh, as we go into 2024? And using this Laodicean church in Revelation 3, today I want to look at three hindrances that must be removed or obstacles, if you will, if we would experience true revival from the Lord. And the first one is that is lukewarmness. Lukewarmness towards Jesus Christ is a great hindrance to uh, the work of the spirit and revival let's begin uh, there in verse 14 uh, it says you know that Jesus is there's a, in all these letters there's a description of Christ first of all he is here the amen the faithful and true witness now that's interesting for someone to be called the amen uh, that word, is almost identical to the Hebrew word for believe or the Hebrew word for faithful. And it had, you know, it's come to mean surely or truly. And it's an expression of absolute trust and confidence. Jesus Christ is the Amen. And, and uh, He's stable. He is firm. He is absolutely steady and unchangeable in all that He does. In all that he says, you can count on him. His purposes cannot fail uh, or be stifled. And the Bible says all of God's promises are yes and amen in him. And so uh, to those who are weak, and that's all of us uh, who are wavering, who are unsure about life, the Lord Jesus is the rock that we stand on. He is uh, the, the strength to those who are weak. He's faithful faithful to his church in every way you can imagine, uh, and more. And so he is faithful. He's a faithful and true witness. Uh, we usually think about you know, us being witnesses to Christ, but Christ himself is a witness. He, he witnesses and testifies only that which is true, and he bears witness to uh, what is taking place in, in his world. He bears witness to what is going on in his church, And in our lives. And so he testifies about the truth, uh, the the truth of our condition before him. And he also supplies the remedy for it. In verse 15, he says, I know your works, speaking to the church in Laodicea. And so he was well aware of, of what was going on in this church and he knew what sort of deeds they were doing or not doing. He knows that about us as well. He looks, of course, into the heart, not merely on the external things. He knows why we do things, what we're doing, and how we're going about our lives. And so, as as the faithful and true witness, uh, he judges all things. He's judging us now in, in the sense that he is... Uh, he's looking at us and uh, assessing our state. Uh, There's, you know, everything that he knows about us and would say about us is accurate. And so that, of course, will be carried out uh, in fullness on the Day of Judgment. We think of the Day of Judgment. Jesus Christ, it says, will be the judge uh, of all things. God has appointed him. Uh, to be the judge, and on that day he will bear witness truthfully and faithfully to exactly uh, what we were, who we who we were in this world, whether we knew Christ or not, whether we lived for Christ or not. And so I, you know I think that this idea of Christ being the true and faithful witness, especially as we think about the day of judgment, that that itself, uh, the failure to think soberly about, the day of judgment in Christ's uh, absolute, you know, faithful, true witness and judge, being the, being our judge, the, the failure to think soberly about this is one of the reasons why we do not experience revival and why we are indeed lukewarm. Uh, the day of judgment is off in the distance or it doesn't even exist. <clears throat> and, we, and we think as Christians, well, you know, I, you know, I've already passed from death into life. I've already passed from judgment, even John's gospel says. And yet the Bible says we'll all stand before the judgment seat of Christ. So we do have to think about it. But verse 15, Jesus goes on. He says, I know your works. You're neither cold nor hot. Wish you were cold or hot. That's interesting, right? He says, I, I wish you were cold or hot. Cold is preferable to lukewarm, isn't it? Um, but... There were some hot springs nearby, the city of Laodicea, and hot springs, you know, they bubble up, they flow, and then they flow. they've got to go somewhere. And as the, the hot water goes on, interesting, I heard a, a, a thing this week, you know, the, there's hot springs uh, out in Yellowstone Park. And, uh, and they have boardwalks that go through there because if you get out and walk, you, you know, there's a crust there that can give way under you, and so they don't let people walk out of there. You might fall under this hot water, and people have died doing that. Um, and uh, so, but these springs, as they flow out, they, they become lukewarm. And uh, being hot, they might provide some benefit, but uh, lukewarm water is not much good. Cold water might be refreshing. Uh, but lukewarm water again—it's not very uh, uh, useful—and that's describing, of course, the spiritual state of of these people of, of of the the Laodiceans. And so, it's preferable preferable to be cold rather than lukewarm because if you're cold, at least you're honest. There's there is an honest assessment. Back when I was a young person in, in, in school and hearing this, that message I was telling you about, I was lukewarm, and I thought it was okay. No, it was, it was not okay uh, whatsoever. Uh, it would have been better if I had been honest and said, I, I am cold. I'm really, uh, you know, if you're lukewarm, you're really no different than if you were cold. But the lukewarm person professes to, in some sense, know the Lord or believe in the Lord. But the reality is not, uh, not the case, and it becomes difficult to tell. The lukewarm person can convince himself or, and even other people that they're okay with God. Um, but the person who is cold, at least you know where they stand. Well, where, where would you say you are right now? What is your spiritual temperature, if you will? Right? That's something we need to do from time to time to to take our spiritual temperature and and what Jesus is doing in this passage is to press us to to declare where we are, you know to to be honest about where we are. And uh, if you are cold, it's kind of uh, you know you might think, well, if I'm here today, I'm probably not cold, right? Well, I think it's possible. It's possible to be cold on the inside and still be here. Um, maybe not as likely, but uh, if you are cold, then then there's a lot of questions you need to ask. Why why is that? Is that indicative of uh, being in a lost condition for you? Or uh, what does it mean? Or is it a temporary lapse? I don't know. You have to ask yourself and the Lord these questions. Well, are you lukewarm? Uh, then you've you got to ask a series of questions about that. Uh, uh, how did that happen? Uh, w- was I once uh, more on the hot side of things? And if I'm lukewarm now, what happened? And, and how do I uh, return to that spiritual fire that I once had? Well, so we have to be honest with ourselves. And if you, if you say, well, I think I'm pretty much on the, the hot side right now by the grace of God. Well, good. I didn't stay there. <laughs> Uh, stay where you are. Keep the fire stoked. And, uh, and you know that's true of any fire, right? You must keep it stoked if, if it's going to stay hot. So lukewarmness is a great hindrance to revival. Secondly, we learned from this passage that self-sufficiency and complacency are great hindrances to revival. Verse 17, he says, you say, I'm rich have become wealthy, and have need of nothing. Well, this church was probably well off in, in the financial sense, the physical sense, as well as the spiritual sense. They, they had uh, much of the knowledge of God. They probably had good teaching and preaching. Sounds like the American church today. Um, plenty of money, plenty of biblical uh, resources, uh, you know, there's more and more uh, things available to us. So we have no excuse. We are wealthy. But to say I'm wealthy, uh, let's say, you know, focus on the spiritual here, uh, that I'm wealthy spiritually, but then to say I have need of nothing, and then, then we are, are going astray like the Laodiceans. So uh, today in the church, uh, we are very, very blessed, and we should give thanks for that. But we should not rest on on you know how far we've come, or what we know, or what we have, uh, and the blessings that we have. Uh, that should humble us. Uh, we could be in an entirely different situation, in, in another country or, or another um, place. But um, the question, the thing is, is that when when we are prosperous. whether it's financially or spiritually. We tend to become a little relaxed, a little lazy about our Christian lives. Uh, The late Harry Reader is a Presbyterian uh, minister in the PCA. He preached often on revival and wrote about it, and he wrote this. He said, a God-given, heaven-sent revival is desperately needed. But are we desperate for God's sovereign?" Soul-searching and life-changing grace to move. An honest assessment of the contemporary church reveals that we are neither desperate for nor desirous of a heaven-sent revival. For multiple reasons, he said, we are satisfied with the man-sent revival. I'm sorry, revival substitutes. So, again, the question I'm asking in this sermon is: Do we want? Revival? Do we really desire it, or do we think, well, we don't really need it. We're doing, we're doing pretty well. We're doing okay. Well, the prophet Amos had to, and all the prophets really in the Old Testament uh, were preaching to the, to a nation, to Israel, and they were often in a similar state of of being self-sufficient and complacent. Amos said, "Woe to those who are at ease in Zion, and to those who feel secure." In the mountain of Samaria, they have not grieved over the ruin of Joseph. See, when we get to a place of, of being self-sufficient or complacent, thinking that we've arrived, uh, it's, it's, we're, we're ignoring uh, the obvious sins in, in our lives or in the church. And before we mourn over the sins in the world, and we should mourn over the sins in the world, we need to mourn over our own sins uh, as Christians and in the church. But there is that natural tendency in all of us to be self-sufficient, uh, to think that we really don't need God's power or presence in the church because we've, we, we're doing very well, uh, and, and uh, so we're okay. Well, you know, it's easy to be content with certain things if we have sound theology, which I believe that we do. Now, we can always sharpen it, but I think we have sound theology in this church. Uh, and we, I think we at least are attempting to, to rightly worship God. But we can have all these things in place. We can have good, solid leadership, uh, good financial stewardship. And and yet we can be content, as it were, for God to just leave us alone and let us just, just do our thing. Um you know, God. When God comes down, you know, rend the heavens, the prophet said, and come down. Do we really want that? Because when He does, He will disturb us. He will disturb that peace uh, that you know. Maybe we've got everything organized. Well, we've got everything uh, going, going good for us right now, or whatever. You know, uh, God will disturb that. I can promise you. So, are we content with where we are, or? would we want God to intervene? Um, or would, or are we happy for him to just leave us alone? Uh, and so we need to remember what Paul said in Second Corinthians 3, 5. He says, not that we are sufficient of ourselves to think of anything as being from ourselves, but our sufficiency is of God. So if you're self-sufficient, you, you, you're not putting your sufficiency, resting in the sufficiency of Christ himself. And that's where we need to be. Um, we can compl- we can be complacent in our walk with God. That's a little different than being self-sufficient. Um, again, but it's very similar. When we are complacent in our walk with God, we, we don't think we need the ongoing work of the Spirit uh, in-, in our lives. We get to a certain place where we don't think we need to grow. And uh, But I would say that True revival and reformation, which I would add into that equation, is something we need to see an ongoing need for. Again, revival is not much good if it's short-lived. We think of the parable of the sower and and the seed that fell on the rocky soil and immediately sprouted up. There was great joy in that person's life, in other words, but it didn't last. Uh, So that's no good. And revival must also uh, include reformation. Revival has to do with uh, the heart. And the and the will whereas reformation has to do with the mind and the truth of the word of god and and of sound doctrine and both uh, both must go together it's not enough to raise uh, the emotions and to get us all excited if if we then uh, say well this is wonderful what do we need doctrine for that just that's just going to. I remember an individual in this community who will remain unnamed, uh, who was a professing Christian at the time. This was many years ago, and and he says, you know, he says, we well, y- y'all don't believe, you know, y'all aren't focused on that dry, dusty old doctrine, are you? You know, and uh, I I don't know if I said it to him, but I thought it at least. You know, I was like, well, you know, we, we're focused on doctrine, but it, you know, hopefully, doctrine set on fire by God. That, uh, that's that's what uh, Martin Lloyd Jones says. That, that preaching, true preaching, is 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 the doctrines of Scripture set on fire by the Holy Spirit. So uh, the thing is, uh, complacency is uh, is a terrible hindrance to uh, the ongoing work of the Lord uh, in our lives. And so that's there's an indifference, you see, or or an apathy. To the things that uh, maybe we become overly familiar with things. I've been studying the Bible for many many years. I've become more familiar uh, lately than you know because of my age than I was, let's say, 30 years ago. I've learned things, but uh, I don't want to become indifferent. Uh, so look at your own life and, and do you not see that you have a long way to go? What is the standard that we are comparing ourselves to? We have to look at Christ. We have to look at um, other great men and women of God in the past who who uh, who really far outshine us today. and we have to look back at history and say, "Will you not revive us again? We see we see what happened in the past, but we haven't seen it in our day and in our age. And so let's not be complacent. Let's humble ourselves before God. Let's turn afresh to Christ and and pray to him. First uh, John 5:4, the Apostle John says, "This is the victory that's overcome the world, our faith. We need to overcome complacency and self-sufficiency. Uh, and how do we do that? This is the victory that overcomes it, our faith. So we repent of these sins, but by faith we look to Christ and we look to him as the true vine of uh, John 15. Jesus said, "I'm the vine, you are the branches." He who abides in me and I in him bears much fruit. For without me you can do nothing. Branches are not self-sufficient. Uh, I, you know, whenever we have a windy day, uh, at the end of the day, I pick up lots and lots of branches and they're all dead. Uh, and, and, uh, and, and if they weren't dead, they're going to be soon, right? Because they're disconnected from the tree or disconnected from the vine. So branches are not self-sufficient. They're absolutely dependent on the vine. And so you and I, if we would experience revival, must learn to rely on and abide in Christ completely, uh, to trust more and more in Him and and less in ourselves. And here's a question for you. How do you know when revival is really taking place in your life or has taken place uh, when you are able to say from the heart with John the Baptist, I must decrease and he must increase. But finally from our passage, we see that a lack of awareness of our sinful condition is a great hindrance to revival. Jesus said this, he says, You do not realize that you are wretched, pitiful, poor, blind, and and, and naked. You are wretched, pitiful, poor, blind, and naked, but you just don't see it. Uh, and, and so these were strong words, which uh, to a church that was, by all appearances, probably a very respectable and uh, and knowledgeable church. But Jesus Christ, the true witness, saw the reality, saw things that they didn't see. And I'm pretty sure he sees things in your life and in my life that I don't see, that I choose not to look at. Well, Jesus caused them to come face to face with the truth about their sinful condition, you know, and and that may seem harsh. You know, that is that a loving thing to do? Well, of course it is, Uh, because Christ not only wants to to shame us for our sins, he's he's got a way out. He he's wants to show us the way out. And more of that will come next week, Lord willing, in the the second sermon. But um, their condition was serious and they were sick and they needed a cure. Uh, they needed to be made fully aware of their uh, condition if they were going to uh, seek that cure no one goes to the doctor unless they're convinced they actually have a problem and so <clears throat> uh, they were they were wretched and we've talked about that before in different contexts about you know you know how john New- newton said in his hymn amazing grace who saved a wretch like me do you really see yourself as wretched Um, well Jesus saw the Laodiceans that way and so uh, mercifully of course uh, Jesus caused them to face the reality of your wretchedness now you know it's not fun to go through that to feel your spiritual wretchedness but it's good uh, to know it to know your sinful condition so that you might seek the remedy in the Lord Jesus Christ. So he uses these other terms. We won't get into it, but to describe the sinful condition, they were pitiful. Uh, They were poor. They weren't rich. Uh, They were blind. Uh, They thought they could see. Uh, They were naked and didn't know it, like like the emperor's new clothes, that that old uh, story. But what about you? Uh, Is it possible that you're blind uh, to your sinful condition. We're usually the last to see our own faults. So we, have to, we need to pray that God would show us things that otherwise ordinarily we wouldn't want to see, uh, that we'd try to uh, ignore, uh, that he would reveal our sins and faults and open our eyes to see our true condition so that we can confess our sins, and repent of them. Psalm 139 is a perfect place to go uh, to put words to our prayers. Uh, Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me, and know my anxieties, and see if there's any wicked way in me, and lead me in the way everlasting. Are you willing to pray to God and say, search my heart, God, show me my sins, show me my heart, reveal the wretchedness, show me where I'm poor, show me where I'm miserable, blind, and naked, and then lead me in the right way, in the better way, in the everlasting way. So what is it in your life this morning would you say that is is the main hindrance to spiritual renewal or revival in, in, in your life? Well, we've mentioned three areas, uh, lukewarmness being a great hindrance, uh, Self sufficiency, complacency, and then finally this lack of awareness of our spiritual condition. Um, Oswald J. Smith, and some of this is in, printed in your bulletin, he sums it up well. He says, There is only one obstacle that can block up the channel and choke God's power, and that is sin. Sin is the great barrier, it alone can hinder the work of the Holy Spirit and prevent a revival. So what do you do with hindrances to revival? What do you do with these obstacles? Smith goes on, he says, Sin then is the great barrier, and it must be put away. Nor is there any alternative. There can be no compromise. God will not work as long as there is iniquity covered up. As as the psalmist said, if I regard iniquity in my heart, the Lord will not hear. So sin must be put away, Proverbs 28, 13 uh, he who covers his sins will not prosper, but whoever confesses and forsakes them will find mercy from God. Have you identified hindrances in your life uh, to spiritual revival and renewal? Well, there are lots of other things that we could bring up. Uh, we just looked at a few things that Christ pointed out to this one church that might hinder. There are sins of commission, things we've done. There are sins of omission, things we failed to do. So if our church is going to experience the refreshing grace of God and and, and the amazing life-changing power of the Holy Spirit in this coming year, then each one of us needs to examine ourselves before the Lord and and ask ourselves, what what are the hindrances, the obstacles that need to be removed, uh, that need to be uh, put out of our lives? And we need to remember... That it's only by the power of the Holy Spirit that we can do this. If we try to do this, we're going to feel uh, our absolute weakness. And we're going to feel that we can't do it. Uh, But God has given you, if you're a Christian, you have the Spirit of God. Uh, You need to ask that the Spirit of God will take over and will enable you uh, to put sin out. And then, of course, his reviving work will begin. Well, if you and I, if we as a church, if any church would experience revival and reformation, we need not only to remove the hindrances, we need to heed the words of Christ in verses 18 to 22. We'll look at those next week, but I'm going to just read those as we close so we can look ahead to what's coming. And Jesus said, I counsel you to buy from me gold refined in the fire that you may be rich. And white garments that you may be clothed, that the shame of your nakedness may not be revealed. And anoint your eyes with eye salve that you may see. As many as I love, Christ's love for us, he does love us. As many as I love, I rebuke and chasten. So understand, these are acts of love. Therefore be zealous and repent. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him. And dine with him, and he with me. To him who overcomes, I will grant to sit with me on my throne, as I also overcame and sat down with my Father on his throne. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Let's pray. O God, you have spoken to us, each one of us today, through this portion of your word. Lord Jesus, you are the true and faithful witness. You know us inside and out. And we all have areas of sin in our lives that might be hindering your work in our church. And I pray, God, that by the Holy Spirit, each one of us would be enabled to see our sin, to turn from our sin, and then to see Christ and and seek Christ who is at your right hand. And so give us, Holy Spirit, broken and contrite hearts. Forgive us, Lord, but also give us hope as we turn away from these worthless things these obstacles these hindrances uh, may we see lord that you will meet us you will meet us right there and then and 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 refreshing will come from your your hand to us in jesus name we pray amen let us uh, take our hymnals and uh, of course we